Good morning and welcome to the last in our series looking at the question of justice. We started looking at this sort of in response to the horrific events and the death of George Floyd in America and the outcry, the Black Lives Matter outcry that came as a result of that. And the, the passionate message that Dan brought about sort of God not God not being interested in just just our words and our worship, but requiring us to act, to do something. What does justice look like? What does the Bible say about justice? John began this series by focusing on the verse in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, where it says, God calls on us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. When we reflected on this as a home group, sort of after John's message, one of our members said, sort of, I understand what it is to walk humbly before God, and I understand what it is to love mercy. But how do I act justly? The verb there is act. It's, it's an active thing. It's expecting a response from us. It's not a, it's not a passive behaviour. So what does it look like? What does it look like for us, for me individually, to act justly? What does it look like for us as a church corporately to act justly? There's an old Chinese proverb that says every journey begins with a single step. It would be so easy to be overwhelmed by the, by the injustice, by the racism, by the inequality that we see all around us in this world, by the massive poverty that there are is in some areas and the comparative affluence of those who, those who live in the West. What does it mean to act justly in that context? Well, let's turn to the passage that has been read to us today from Job chapter 31 and verses 16 to 19. But first of all, a bit of background to the story of Job. Job was, Job was written round, Job was, Job lived, probably lived round about the time of the patriarchs, the time of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. There's, there's nothing in this book that talks about Mosaic law or anything that, anything that Moses sort of had handed down when God spoke to him. So it's very, very likely that Job lived before that time, probably around the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was, a, he, was a, he was a wealthy man, probably one of the wealthiest men in the area where he lived. He had everything. He had, he had a wife, he had family, he had cattle, he had land. He had everything that he needed. The beginning of the book sort of sees, sees him lose all of that when God 
shows him up as a, as a wonderful, righteous character. And Satan says, well, that's because he's got everything working well for him. Everything's going well. And God says, oh, first of all, God says, OK, you can take everything away. Just don't hurt him. And he does that and Job remains faithful. And then God says, all right, you can take everything away from him. You can make him ill. Just don't kill him. And Job goes through a long, long period of being really, really ill and always in pain. And his, his friends come round to try and comfort him. And it starts off OK. And then after a while, they, they start trying to come up with reasons why God is afflicting Job and God is putting him through all this suffering. And this is towards the end of that discourse. And they've, they've come to this thought, well, there must be, he must have done something in his life to warrant what is going on, to warrant why he's going through such a hard time. And one of the understandings of the day was that you were, that the disability or sickness or things like that were, were, were a punishment. And so they're saying, have you acted unjustly in the way that you've behaved? towards others. So there was really a sense that in order to please God, one needed to live in a just and a righteous way. And that's where we pick up this story. These are, in fact, the last words that Job speaks in the whole of this book. So we read these words. If I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eye of the widow grow weary, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared him as I would a father. From my birth I guided the winner. If I've seen anyone perishing or lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece of my sheep. If I've raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from my shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. What we see is that care for the poor, care for the widow, care for the orphan was central to understanding a right way of living. But for Job, that care was more than just giving unwanted clothes to a charity shop or buying a few extra tins of food in our weekly shop and handing those out to a food bank, good though those things are, for Job it was so much more than that. Job invited the needy into his home. He sat them at his table and fed them with the same food that he ate. He clothed them with the same clothes that he wore. He says, if I if there were people who were who were who, were, who didn't have clothes, then I I clothed them with the fleece of my own lambs. So the very clothes that he wore himself, he was making them available to the poor and the needy wherever he saw them. Job was saying by his deeds, as much as by his words, I want you to share all that I have. I recognise all I have is a gift from God and I refuse to keep it all to myself. Last week, we read the passage from 
James chapter 4 and verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without food, clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. Recording this on Thursday, last night we had a home group where we looked back at that passage. And Dee Larkham shared a story last night. I hope she won't mind me sharing this publicly. But when, when they came back from India, Dee says that oh, it was a really cold day and all she had was a cardigan, no coat. And she, she went to church and not a single person made a comment to her saying, would you like a coat? Can I buy you a coat? You can have my spare coat. But they were all there in their sheepskin coats and really, really warm. And not one of them said anything to Dee that said, can I help make you warm? And that really spoke to me last night because it really brought this passage into focus. Faith without works is useless. Fact is, saying faith without works isn't really faith at all. Have you really got any faith at all in God unless you live out a life that demonstrates his character? But more widely than that, is it, is it my responsibility simply to care for other believers, other Jesus followers? When I, when, I, when I think of answering that question, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. Where the, one of the religious leaders came up to Jesus and said to him, who is my neighbour? And Jesus said this story, he told this story. He said, a, man, a Jewish man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was set upon by robbers. And then a priest walked by on the other side, a Levite walked by on the other side, and then a Samaritan, someone with whom the Jews don't, don't really deal, came and looked after that man. He cared for that man. He, he bandaged him up and he took him off and he took him to an inn where he would be looked after. So he, he, he invested time, he invested his own risk, he invested his own money, and his own reputation, because Samaritans didn't like Jews in the same way as Jews didn't like Samaritans. So what we're seeing here when the question of who is my neighbour, the call for us to let actions demonstrate our faith is not limited to looking after other believers. It's also a challenge that we should look to look to, look to meet need wherever we find it. And then I, I think of the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats. Where you're at, we're, at the, we're, at the, we're at the judgment and on one, hand, one side he's got sheep and one side he's got the goats. And then he says, when you, when you saw me hungry, you didn't feed me. When you saw me 
without clothes. You didn't give me any clothes. When you saw me in prison, you didn't come and visit me. When you saw me needy, you did nothing to help me. And the sheep said, well, we don't remember that at all. We don't remember when you were ever in that way. And Jesus says, for as much as you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Jesus identifies with the marginalised. He identifies with the hungry. He identifies with the needy. Jesus, was, Jesus lived as a refugee. He was despised. He was rejected. He was punished, though he was innocent. He was unjustly tortured. He was murdered, though he had committed no crime. Jesus identifies with the most needy, the most marginalised, the most ostracised people in our society. It's the weak that he cares for. It's the weak that he says we should invest our time in. Let me move on to another question. Should we as churches work independently of other organisations, other faiths, other social action groups, local and national government, charities? Should we as the church work on our own or should we seek to work alongside those people, those other organisations, as we look to bring act justly in our community? Many of you will be familiar with the promise in Jeremiah chapter 9, sorry, chapter 29 and verse 11, where God says, or Jeremiah says, where Jeremiah says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. These are these are a wonderful promise, and it's one that I've had people speak over me when they've prayed for me. It's a promise that I've spoken over others when I've been praying for them. Yet often we forget the context. I just want to give you a little bit of context for this. The, it's written to the exiled people of Judah who have been taken by Nebuchadnezzar and they're living in exile in Babylon. So they're not in their own country. Some of them are really, really hoping that they're going to get back to their country soon so they can go back to their own particular way of life. And this is what Jeremiah writes in chapter 29 and verse 4. This is what the God Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray for it, 
Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for the place where you are, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. So that's that's the context of this verse. Now there's a there's a word that occurs here. There's a word in this verse that occurs over and over in the Old Testament. It's translated here into English as peace. The word is shalom. This translation, however, does not convey the, the full extent of the meaning of shalom. To an Israelite, to a Jew, the word shalom meant wholeness. It meant completeness. It meant soundness. It meant health. It meant safety. It meant prosperity. And it carried with it the idea of permanence. It meant restoring the creation to the position it was in, in the garden, before the fall. Often when we use the word peace, we think of it as peace, as an absence of conflict, as an absence of war. This word peace is so much bigger than that. What this word is saying is, I pray for you that your relationships will be whole, they'll be complete, they'll be restored, they'll be made back into the image that God first intended of them to be. Back in the Garden of Eden, God and Adam and Eve had a, had a whole relationship. There was shalom, there was, there was freedom, there was flexibility, there was trust, there was confidence, there was security. It says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Just imagine in the cool of the afternoon or late in the early evening and the sun is still shining and they're walking around just having a conversation. It's natural as that life was whole and there was complete fellowship. That was Shalom. And that is what we've been craving for ever since that day. When Adam and Eve sinned and that relationship was broken. The peace was shattered. And ever since then, we've been, the world has been crying out to restore that shalom. And that, that is what we're really looking for. When we look for justice, we're saying, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom reign, let your rule be as prevalent here as it is in heaven where there's nobody that gets in the way, when there's no evil, when there's no wrong. And when we're crying out for that, and when we're looking, when we're saying act justly, what we're saying is everywhere where we see that relationship broken, everywhere in society where that shalom is shattered, we need to be looking to try and restore that. So we like the exiled people of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day, we're living in the midst of people, who, those who do not yet follow him. What we read in this verse is that our peace and our prosperity, our shalom, is not 
isolated from the world, it's intertwined with it. We will only discover that real sense of prosperity and peace when we when we seek to demonstrate that and when we seek to cultivate it and grow it in our community. So we should be looking to work with others in every area that we can to look to build up that relationship, to look to build up that peace. So where we see society broken and people acting unjustly, we should speak out. But we should speak out not just with words, but with actions. Those actions might be might be a march, it might be writing to your MP, it might be signing up to help at the local food bank, it might be inviting a homeless person to come home with you, to have a meal with you. It might be to take some of your best clothes and give them to somebody who doesn't have any, so that they will be warm. It'll be different for each one of us, but we all need to learn to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God.